well, I think most people in Europe certainly would think about the popular places that you hear about on the French Riviera, very stylish sort of places. But curiously, at the very top of the list of tourist destinations in France is Lourdes. None of these other very chic places attract anything like the numbers that Lourdes attracts over the years. And so there's something special there. The mother of Jesus was there. And she appeared, well, with her message of charity, of looking out for the sick. Today is the world day of the sick. She was there to encourage the sick, to help them. And over time, she has performed many miracles, some of them spiritual and many physical. The cures and the miracles are almost numberless. I met a, an Australian missionary in Japan, or who was in Japan, I met him in Singapore many years ago, and he wrote a book about Lourdes. It's a rather interesting book, it was called Healing Fire from Frozen Earth. It was like a modern history of Lourdes, written in a very secular way, for a very secular readership of the 21st century. But uh, it's very cogent descriptions, and you really have to admit there's something very supernatural that was taking place there. Our Lord wanted to entrust Our Lady with very special riches that she would transmit to, to humanity. A reminder of the infinite mercy of God. <clears throat> Our Lady reaches out to every single person. In the litany, we refer to her as health of the sick, comfort of the afflicted. At some stages in our life, we've all been more or less sick, or we know people that have been. It's wonderful to know that we have a mother to turn to, somebody who always understands us, and somebody also who can bring good out of every suffering. So that every little bit of suffering that we might endure, and that Our Lady might permit in our life, well, we know that she's going to take this thing and convert it into something of great value. Fulton Sheen tells a story of how there was a lady in the late uh, 19th century, late 1800s, in Paris, French lady, Catholic lady, who married a man who was the chairman of the Communist Party. And he was also the editor of the Communist newspaper. So a very prominent communist. And she felt that God had given her this husband in order to convert him. He was a very intelligent man. She was just a very normal lady. She tried to brush up on her theology as best she could, or on her doctrine, to engage him intellectually. But she more or less got nowhere. No, she didn't achieve anything. But after a number of years of marriage, she got very sick. I think it was TB of the spine or something. And she had to be a number of years in an iron lung. So obviously, she suffered an awful lot. Uh, but she and her husband were very much in love. And one day, after a number of years, she said to him, <clears throat> after I die, you will convert and become a Catholic. And he was thinking, I think my wife is nearing her end, hmm? because there was nothing further from his mind. Hmm? And then she said, after that, you will enter a seminary, and you will be ordained a Catholic priest. And he said, definitely, my wife is losing her mind. Hmm? There was nothing further from his thoughts, nor outside the bounds of possibility. And then she said, because I have asked God to send me enough suffering in my life so as to save your soul. And he dismissed these thoughts as the thoughts of a dying woman. 
But then she passed away, and he had an awful lot of grief because he had loved her very much. And he wanted somehow to reconnect with her spirit or to relive the moments they had spent together. So he took time off and he decided to go and visit all the places that they had been to in France on their honeymoon. And so he began to travel all over France as they did on their honeymoon. And at one stage he found himself in a small village outside the local church. And he remembered that on their honeymoon he had, they had gone into the church. Well, it wasn't politically correct for him to be seen going into churches. He also hated going into churches. He had no time for that sort of thing. But he had made a promise to himself to go everywhere they'd been on their honeymoon, so he went into the church. And inside the church, he got this tremendous desire to go to Lourdes. Well, he had hated Lourdes. He had dismissed Lourdes as one of those Catholic superstitions and frauds in his communist newspaper. He had condemned it from a height, this silly superstitious stuff. But here he had this great desire to go to Lourdes. So he went to Lourdes. And standing in front of the Grotto of Lourdes, he underwent a monumental conversion. And so great were the graces of his conversion that the thought of going back to Paris and resigning from the chairmanship of the Communist Party and the editorialship of the Communist newspaper it didn't cost him a thought. And a couple of months later, he entered a Dominican seminary. And eventually he was ordained a priest. And Fulton Sheen says, I did my retreat given by that Dominican priest in 1925. And he said, it's not often in the course of your life where you attend a retreat where the preacher frequently says, as my wife Elizabeth used to say. <laughs> and so <clears throat> Our Lady is capable of the most monumental conversions. And so on feast days of today, we join the whole church and the whole world in bringing to Our Lady our every need. We know that she knows us very well. She hears our petitions, no matter what they may be. And that motherly assistance will can fill us with peace and joy. In the last 150 years or more, she has heard the voices of so many children who pray to her. Today, somebody sent me a little video clip of a mass in Lourdes this morning, packed with thousands of people. And saw the devotion to Our Lady of the Lord still very much alive and well. Small children, when they stray from their mother, <coughs> well, they get uneasy. They can feel a bit lost, and more than a bit lost. Well, likewise, we have to try and make sure that we don't stray too much from Our Lady. We stay close to her. In the intimacy of our personal prayer, we can ask her for things. Or to see how we turn to our mother frequently during the day with our Angelus, with our Rosalie, maybe at our morning offering, with our memoraries or other little aspirations that we may say, asking for help in this thing or that thing, or lights to understand things a little better, or the fortitude we need to get this thing done or that problem solved, or placing before her all of our, all of our children and grandchildren, so that we are truly a a powerful force in their lives, a force of prayer. I remember I had a relation whose parents were not, well, one was Catholic, one wasn't, they weren't practicing. And this little girl managed to make her first Holy Communion. And I remember my mother commenting, it's the prayers of your grandmother. And I always remember those words, trying to figure out how do the prayers of my grandmother have anything to do with this little seven-year-old 
making her first Holy Communion, as though saying this was a major miracle. Well, there are many things, perhaps, as parents and grandparents, that we bring about through our prayer, and that God has been planning from all eternity, that our fidelity in prayer, our turning to Our Lady, remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled your protection, implored your help, or sought your intercession was left unaided. And so we know she's looking out for us all the time. She had a very clear message when she appeared in the grotto. She wanted to remind humanity of the need for conversion and for penance. In nearly all of her apparitions, she said the same thing. And as in nearly all of her other apparitions, she's also prayed the rosary with Bernadette, as though emphasizing the power of the rosary. She also spoke of how we can be co-redeemers with Christ, redeeming with him, uniting our sufferings with him on the cross. Any pain, physical or moral, difficulties in our life, challenges, contradictions, mysteries, and also voluntary mortifications that we might that we might do in some day out of generosity, offering those things to Our Lady in atonement for all the sins of men. With Our Lady behind, beside us, well, we can come to see how her things that might appear to be a great tragedy can in fact bring about great good and consider it through the eyes of faith. I was at a special mass about a week or so ago in Musangari in Loreto in Nairobi. It was the 100th anniversary of the Loreto sisters in Kenya. And of course, a very special moment, possibly one of the longest serving religious orders in Kenya. And Archbishop Kivuva said the mass and he was saying many beautiful things, the contribution the sisters had made to the church in Kenya, what the church in Kenya would not have been if it hadn't been for the Loreto sisters. And how he'd asked a number of kids, do you do you go to Loretta school? And they say, no, but my mother did. <clears throat> and she said, half the country said the same thing. No? In a couple of little quips that are really very, very apt. No? But being at this mass and thinking about the six sisters that arrived here in 1921, and a hundred years later, I reckon about a million girls have been educated. You contrast that beginning with the arrival point that we've reached a hundred years later. Just unimaginable. Couldn't even dream about it or think about it. Just incredible. You can't explain it in human terms. But of course the story is one of faith and also one of heroism. Along the way there have been a lot of tragedies. There was a bus that went off the road in Meru a couple of years ago and some students lost their lives, some lost limbs. There was a train in the late 90s that was coming from Mombasa and with two Kenyan Loretto sisters who were destined for important administrative positions perhaps in the development of their order. There was a flood, the bridge washed away, and when the train came there, it went into the river, and that was the end of those nuns. All sorts of heartbreaking tragedies have been part of the story. But when a hundred years have passed and you look back, it's just amazing what has been achieved. You see what God wants to do with our correspondence to grace. In our marriage, in our family, in spite of the contradictions or the difficulties or the things that haven't worked out, 
It's all a story of faith and of heroism and of grace. And we can have great faith and trust in all the miracles that our lady wants to work in us and through us, through our fidelity. And he places these examples before us. And so this is a great message that we can transmit to people who may have illnesses, serious illnesses, maybe chronic things, or people who are born disabled, or who don't have the physical or mental talents that we might have. All these things invite us to trust more in God, Puts, to put God's power above our meager efforts. He can do much greater things in a much greater way. But he just wants to use us as his humble instruments. And maybe we make mistakes and maybe things go wrong, but we just put one foot in front of the other. St. Paul tells us that we will not be tested beyond our strength. Even though there might be contradictions or difficulties, heartbreaks, well, if we see these things through the eyes of faith, <clears throat> we know that God has permitted this thing. And if he gives me this cross, well, he gives me the grace to be able to carry it. There'll be no trial that won't be too much. And if we remember that we are just children of God, children of Mary, we know that he will never let us down. <clears throat> and so the millions and millions of people that go to Lourdes every year, in many ways, that's what they're stating with their feet. They go there to entrust themselves once again to Our Lady. I'm telling her that we know that she will never give us more that, than we can handle. No? St. Augustine says, do everything possible and ask for what is impossible. St. Josemarie used to say, we're not just here to do the possible. Anybody can do the possible. We're here to do the impossible. When you look at the history of that particular religious, religious order in you, see this in many ways they've achieved the impossible. Some of them were telling me that when they set up Loretta Moro, the first school for girls and African girls in the whole of East Africa, sometimes they didn't have food to eat. Or in the emergency, the bullets were flying with the Mau Mau. All sorts of amazing challenges. But yet they hung in there. Some of them were saying when they got the initial girls that came to the first school, they managed to convince some of the chiefs to try and educate their daughters. Education was unheard of. And the first group of 10 or 12 that came to the school, within 24 hours, they all ran away. And they had to be coaxed back to the school. And then it was a boarding school. It was far away from where they lived, so they had to live in conditions. And they had sacks that were filled with grass. That's what the mattresses were. So all very rudimentary. But little by little, they got these girls to the stage of doing the Cambridge exam. And it was a big thing to be able to send the papers of these girls after decades to be corrected in England and then get that standard. You know? And this nun told me that when they sent the papers, the Cambridge, the results of the girls, or the, the papers of the girls to be corrected in England, the nuns kept a carbon copy of the answers of the girls in case the ship went down. <laughs> wow. Nothing was to stand in the way of the education of these girls. Wow. You hear an anecdote or two like that, and you realize, my goodness, these were, these were some women, no? That's incredible ideas. And that's why Archbishop Kivova was able to say they have changed the face of education in this country, no? They set the standards. They 
did incredible things no? in the face of all sorts of difficulties. And of course, their great boast is Wangari Athai, a Nobel Prize winner. No? Not every school can boast of that. But of course, to achieve those sort of things, well, there's commitment, there's ideals, there's the whole missionary thrust of the church, the whole social teaching of the church. Uh, I wrote a bit of an article about this event, and I was saying, well, you know, we hear an awful lot about the empowerment of women in the world today, in the 21st century. Uh, so this is something enormously new. But if you look back 100 years ago, these women were full of the ideals of the empowerment of women. No? It's very deeply there, the social teaching of the Catholic Church. No? And they had to overcome all sorts of obstacles to, to make it happen. No? Colonial governments and powers and all sorts of things. That's why their, their school was far away from Nairobi, near the railway. And so we see a story of people going forward, step by step, doing things with the help of Our Lady, not being held back by anything, by any human force. We learn from this how we have to try and have that same faith. <coughs> John Paul II talked about how the vocation, or anybody's vocation, but particularly the vocation of Our Lady, was a pilgrimage of faith. And pilgrimage is a journeying forward, step by step. The whole of your marriage vocation is a pilgrimage of faith. The whole of your Christian vocation, your apostolic vocation. There's always something for us to do. God is working there behind the scenes all the time. And so we find many people going to shrines of Our Lady. And, well, here in this country, we have national shrines in Sabukia and Sabukia. There's, I think, another one coming up in Kitui. Probably they will mushroom and over time. Pretty good thing to let our children and grandchildren be aware of these places or to go on pilgrimages there from time to time. We help to foster Marian piety. So the people also know the history of these sort of places, particularly Lourdes. Uh, major it's the major marian shrine in the world and to see how it's a place for them to go to or have devotion to our lady of lords in time of difficulty john paul ii like to ask the question why is it precisely the sick it is precisely the sick who go on pilgrimage to lords well he says because the mother of jesus is there and some powerful attractive force she draws them there with great power because she knows that uh, they know that she's there somehow. I heard a story recently about a, a very good father somewhere in the States, in rural States, and in the parish grounds there was a grotto of Our Lady of Lourdes, as they're all over the world. And he had a young son, and he wanted to have the son to have a lot of Marian piety. And the son happened to ask him, you know, what's this grotto all about? And he said, well, this is a very, very famous grotto. It goes back a long way in history. And there's one just like it in France. And so this was the major one here in our parish. No? <clears throat> so some people get the story a little bit wrong, but uh, at least the intentions are there. No? John Paul II says, the miraculous cure remains. However, in spite of everything, an exceptional event. Christ's salvific power, propitiated by the intercession of his mother, is revealed at Lourdes, particularly in the spiritual sphere. It is in the hearts of the sick that Mary makes the voice of her son heard, a voice that dissolves miraculously the stiffening of bitterness and rebellion and restores eyes to the soul to see in a new light the world, others, and one's own destiny. 
to people who may be suffering a lot or long term or God may have afflicted them with special things well this story that their suffering can be worthwhile can be united to the cross of Christ can have enormous meritorious value this changes everything makes them thank God for the crosses that he sends them helps them to see each day in a different way and we see that all the little difficult things that we may do well, it's all earning great rewards for us in heaven and so our lady leads us to her son who has a special love for the sick Christ went around the place doing good and healing all he loved to heal people he didn't want everybody to be healed he didn't heal the whole world but he healed an awful lot of people and so we see how Christ reaches out to them we can also see in the people we know elderly or sick that well, Christ is there in this person whenever you did it to one of these little ones you did it to me it can be a very consoling thought when we reach out in some way to people that we needn't reach out to or we go the extra mile or we go out of our way in some way or maybe we get don't get any thanks or we're not appreciated well whenever you did it to one of these least ones you did it to me tell our Lord well, we're doing it for you it's not just for human thanks or human glory and John Paul liked to say that Christ was sensitive to every human suffering whether of the body or of the soul there are many people in the world who are suffering we are on the weekend of the hearts 14th of February all around the place in Valentine's everybody's talking about hearts and we see lovely hearts all drawn beautifully and they all link up together again but John Paul II liked to say that our hearts are not like that because God has taken a piece of our heart and he's kept it for himself in heaven we only get that piece of our heart back when we go to heaven or when we pray for a while maybe he gives it back to us for a while as well but he said we all suffer from a hole in the heart and that hole can only be filled by God nothing in this world satisfies it and so if those Valentine's Day hearts drew the truth, there'd be a big jagged edge missing out of all of those hearts. Our hearts are restless, Lord, until they rest in you. And Christ allowed his heart to be pierced by a lance on the cross, allowed his heart to be broken, so that he could be like the patron saint of all broken hearts. And Our Lady allowed her heart to be pierced by a spiritual sword, so that she could be there also. But when Jean says, only Christ and Our Lady can mend broken hearts. But you've got to give them all the pieces. There was an English lord who was in Nairobi about 10 years ago. He came to give a talk at an excess conference in, in Strathmore University. Lord Alton, he's the main Catholic peer. And in his discourse, he said one thing that was rather interesting. He said, only Christianity can change the hearts of men. Governments can't. NGOs can't only Christ can only Christianity this is one of the great powers of the church the power to change the hearts of men we have a an inroad into every human heart and Our Lady has that inroad capacity to change hearts with beauty with truth and with love and our mother is there guiding us to those hearts that we can give that witness in our family in our neighborhood the things we do in the way that we carry the crosses that he gives us knowing that there'll always be sufficient graces in difficult circumstances 
that we can use to draw our friends closer to him. And we can certainly ask our Lord to, well, to heal our infirmities, resolve our problems. We can ask him that we might be more docile to his grace, or increase our faith, our hope, our charity. There were many things initially which Bernadette did not understand. It took quite a while for her to grasp what was taking place. But then with her correspondence, as she entered a convent, she underwent a lot of sufferings in her life and she died young, but always happy. And so we can put our pains and our sufferings in the hands of God. Therefore, he says, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have anxieties of its own. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Everybody has a cross to carry. We solve all our own problems by thinking about the others. Helping that other person to correspond generously to the will of God for them. One spiritual writer says, suffering, which in the eyes of men is so disagreeable, can be a fountain of sanctification and apostolate when it's united to Christ. It's the great secret of Christianity that we have to communicate to other people. There's an opportunity to co-redeem with Jesus, to be beside Mary on the cross, to atone to their hearts for all the ways in which their hearts suffer. And many times when Our Lady appeared, when she talked about that heart of hers that was suffering, behold, this heart that has loved men so much, and all I get in return are insults. And it's those that are most consecrated to me very often, she said, that's hurt me most. And she appeared to St. Margaret Mary Alacock. You know? And so we're called to atone to that heart of Mary, that immaculate heart, to offer her things that ease the pain, that say that we're sorry, that we want to improve our life. And we know that our mother will give us consolation, She's consoler of the afflicted, health of the sick, help of Christians. She's always there in all those moments for us to go to her. And so Mary, Our Lady of Lourdes, may we spread your message with our words and with our actions. May we foster that devotion to you, which we know you want us to spread around the place and help many people to find consolation in finding joy in your immaculate heart. Thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me during this meditation. I ask your help to put them into practice. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.